Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from multiple locations in the San Gabriel Valley of sunny Southern California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead people to Jesus, a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you and opens your heart and inspires you to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Anthony. I'm one of the pastors here at Real Life Church. It is an honor to be worshiping with you today. I'm going to start us off in prayer, and then we're going to jump into uh, some teaching together. Let's pray. God, I thank you uh, that you are a God who loves us and cares about us. God, I do thank you for uh, those who have uh, sacrificed so much to serve in the military, for the ones that we know and the, those we don't know. Thank you for them. May you bless their lives through their acts of service. Uh, and God, as we come together to hear from you, uh, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, our Lord and our Redeemer. Amen. Hey, so uh, this fall, I uh, took up a new hobby. I was invited to become a high school football referee here locally. And before I said yes, I reached out to my dad first for permission, which might seem weird, because uh, I'm a grown-up uh, and, and have been for a while. Uh, but my dad was a high school football coach for a lot of years through most of my growing up. And I wanted to make sure I had permission from him uh, so he didn't think that I was like joining the other team or the bad guys, right? So I reached out to him. I sent him a text message. Here's what his response was. Well, that would be an amazing experience. And as a pastor, you've already been trained in receiving criticism. So, so thanks, Dad. Uh, a new hobby was born. Uh, people got mad at me for other things. But it, it has been a blast. And being under uh, the, the lights in the stadiums on Thursdays and Friday nights has brought back just a ton of uh, memories for me that are like over 20 years old of being a high schooler who is not too good at sports, but tried real hard and played high school football. And uh, as I've been thinking about those things and reflecting on those memories, there's, there's one in particular uh, that has faded less than the others. If you don't love or know football, I'm going to make this really simple, kind of what happened in this memory, in this play. Uh, I did not have the ball, but my team did. And the guy with the ball was supposed to run behind me, and my job was to run as fast as I could uh, and crash into a guy who was much bigger than me uh, so he didn't tackle my guy. That's, that's the basic, uh, you know, our team was not that good. Our plays were not that complicated. And that was basically what needed to happen. And as I was running towards that guy, who's much bigger than me, uh, my, my hundred pound high school self was just at full speed. And this guy who's even bigger than the one I was supposed to hit came in from the left side and turned his body into a missile. And through the air, his helmet hit my helmet and took me out. You can see on uh, the game film where like he, he went airborne and got me. Uh, what you can't see on game film is that when I woke up on the ground, I couldn't hear anything. My brain had gotten so rattled that my ears were no longer sending the right signals and the world had gone silent. And I, I don't remember how much the hit hurt. I'm sure it did. Like he, he hit me pretty good. Uh, I don't remember what play we called. I don't remember what team we were playing. I don't remember the, the score of the game, I distinctly remember that contrast between being able to hear and then hearing nothing and the deafening sound of that silence and the fear that I felt. Now, 
They pulled me out for a play and then put me back in. We didn't have concussion protocol back then. Like they should not have put me in, but they 100% did. And I went through the next few series and the rest of that game knowing that things were happening around me and whistles were being blown and the, the crowd was cheering and plays were being called. And I was just kind of along for the ride because I couldn't hear anything. And that was frightening to me. And I, I've been thinking of that memory. I've been uh, reflecting on that, especially in the context of the current teaching series that we've been in as a church. Uh, we've been talking about listening to God and how to create space for that. And, and I recognize that your experience might be like mine is sometimes where we call out to God and what we hear back feels like silence. And that contrast between being able to hear and not can be scary sometimes. So I want to spend uh, a few moments together today, uh, kind of unpacking what do, you, what do you do when maybe at one point you knew what God wanted you to do and now you don't? Or maybe you're someone who even wonders, like, can God even speak to me? Uh, and whoever you are today and wherever you're at, I want you to listen in as a first century pastor, his name was Paul, wrote to uh, an, an early church, kind of walked them through how to get back pointed at the thing that God is asking you to do, how to get your priorities back in a place that you might be able to hear from God and do the things that he's asking. And my hope is that the words from the Apostle Paul uh, might be words that God has for us as well today. So we're in the book of Galatians. Uh, if you have like a physical Bible, you're going to flip halfway and then to the right, flip about halfway more. That's going to get you into the New Testament. Uh, this is a letter that uh, Paul, who's an early church planter, wrote to uh, a, a local church. That letter got passed around a bunch. What I love about the book of Galatians, the letter to the Galatians, is it's one of our first letters that we have to any first century church. It was probably written like a decade, give or take a couple years, after Jesus' death and resurrection. So this, this is early on. The people that this letter was written to would have known Jesus or known someone who knew Jesus. It was that soon after he had lived, died, and came back to life. And Paul has these words to say to that church. Now, let me give you some context first. Uh, it's, it's a fairly simple uh, message. There were Jesus followers, and even in those earliest years of the church, uh, they'd become distracted from what mattered most. Uh, in this instance, there's an enemy to the gospel, right? So the gospel being the good news that Jesus came to reconcile God and people together. There was an enemy to the gospel uh, who had shifted the priorities of the Galatian church, okay? They had uh, left what they were first focused on to start focusing on other things. And Paul wants to bring them back. This is Galatians chapter five, starting in verse seven. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? What kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you? A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Now, this isn't the only time that anyone compares life to a race. In fact, it's not the only time that Paul uses that word picture to talk about how life is best lived. Uh, he's saying the followers of Jesus were on the right track. They were heading the right direction. Things were going well. They were following Jesus's teachings, but then something or someone 
got in the way and they stopped listening to God. They stopped obeying what he was asking them to do. And Paul continues in verse 11. Brothers and sisters, if I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. So this is the, this is the tipping point. This is kind of what Paul's addressing as best we can tell. Uh, there were those in the Galatian church who uh, their journey to becoming followers of Jesus started with them being Jewish and of the Jewish faith. And so as new believers started to follow Jesus' teachings and started to come into the community from outside of the Jewish faith, those who were first a part of it were requiring that those new believers first become Jewish to then become Christian, that they follow that same path in, which meant a whole lot of rituals and a whole lot of rules that were tied into what we would call the old covenant, that first promise with God uh, of the things to do for life to work best. And one of those things, and this is what Paul's talking about, included circumcision. Like no matter what age you were, uh, they were requiring that to happen in order for you to become a Jesus follower. And Paul says something that like, I don't think I could get away with. Uh, but but he can he he wrote this and what I, what I like about this is you know if uh, if I'm editing the Bible if I'm editing a a holy text or a sacred scripture I probably leave this part out I probably leave out the part where the guy who has an authoritative voice says that he wishes the people kind of getting in the way of of uh, those Jesus followers having their priorities in line he wishes they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Uh, that they would go a step even further than circumcision, right? Um, those are bold words from Paul, but that's what he says. Like if, if you get in the way of somebody else following Jesus, if you put extra rules in place, you mess up somebody's priorities, he doesn't think that's a good thing. Let me keep going in uh, verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, you were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. Paul's instructions to the Galatians are simple. Get your priorities straight. Put the right things in the right order so that when God speaks to you, you're in a position to do what he's asking you to do. There are enemies that will point us away from uh, what God is calling us to do. Uh, there are people, but there are also spiritual forces that might come against you uh, and make it hard for you to listen to what God has for you to follow the teachings of Jesus. Uh, Jesus had a friend named Peter, who was also a first century pastor. Uh, Peter uh, says it this way about that enemy, about uh, the spiritual forces that might get in the way of us following what Jesus has asked us to do. First Peter, uh, he writes, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The tactic used by enemies in the Galatian church to take something that they already valued and place it as a higher priority than Jesus's teachings, uh, that's one that can play out in, in your life or my life today. In, in fact, it's actually something that uh, other enemies on other battlegrounds have used in the past as well. There's a story that illustrates this uh, that's even better than I could make up. 
it's, it, it's a story that comes from uh, history outside of the Bible. Uh, historians will tell us that in 525 BC, okay, the Persian army was getting ready to wage war and battle against the Egyptian army again. They'd been trying for a while under different uh, rulers and they kept losing to those pesky Egyptians. The Persian army is having a hard time with this. Uh, but they, they heard something from uh, their spies, from those who had gone to get to know the Egyptians, to understand what their weaknesses were. Uh, they heard that uh, there was a weakness the Egyptians had that they thought they might be able to exploit, and that was cats. Yet you see, uh, the, the spies had let the generals know that the Egyptians, when they thought of cats, they didn't think of cats like you or I, whether you like cats or not. The Egyptians took this thing to a whole nother level. The Egyptians saw cats as something that, you know, they were sacred, almost divine. If a cat was in a burning building, it was the expectation that you would run into that building at risk of harming yourself in order to rescue that cat. If you had a cat who lived in your home and that cat died, the whole household would go into mourning. The servants were expected to shave their eyebrows in mourning for that cat. And as that word got back to the Persian generals and officers to think through how do they exploit that, they came up with a plan. Uh, and it was, uh, it, it was seen during the, the Pelusium battle. Uh, here, here's what it looked like. The, the Persians, as they advanced on the Egyptians, the, those Egyptian archers who were really good at what they did and were able to take out armies before they even got close. Those archers saw that strapped to the shields of the Persian army were cats. And as that Persian army advanced on the Egyptians, they did not know what to do. They did not fire on those shields that had cats on them. They were probably less fluffy than this one, probably a little bit louder, and it, it threw everything into disarray. That Persian army was able to get close to and overcome the Egyptians, not by sheer power, but instead by exploiting the fact that their priorities had gotten all mixed up, and they had taken a good thing and made it sacred to the point that they lost their lives because they weren't willing to go after the thing that the enemy had placed on their shields. And you and I uh, are, are often in a place where our priorities need to be put in check because your enemy, my enemy, like, knows your idols. They know what is the thing. What is the thing that if I put this barrier in there, if we elevate this, maybe... Maybe we could cause silence between God and his people. But it's, it's probably not a cat. That's probably not the thing that, that for you in your life is what is most likely to separate uh, you from hearing what God has for you. Uh, maybe it's the stuff that you've achieved in life. Maybe it's the house that you bought that you saved up for and and worked so hard to be able to get. Maybe it's the career that you've started, the degree you pursued, all of those sacrifices to get to where you are. Maybe it's your stuff. And you've made something that was good into something that in your life is sacred to you. And maybe you're afraid that if you ask God to speak to you, that he might have something to say about your stuff. Maybe I need you to move. And go somewhere else. Maybe you need to shift your career. Maybe the amount of stuff you've collected is getting in the way of you hearing from him. 
Your enemy knows that. And if you've created this kind of sacred idea over the things that you've accomplished, there's a chance that you might not go after those things when God asks you to. You might get in the way of yourself and what God is calling you to do. But maybe that's not your, your issue. Uh, maybe you're like me and you're like a renter for life and like that doesn't, doesn't play. What about this? I'm going to take this kind of very white suburban family, fill, fill yours in there. Um, but what if it's your idea of what family looks like? What if it's a different kind of achievement? Maybe it's the kind of relationship you want to pursue and you think is out there for you. Have you elevated your idea of what your future family could look like or what your present family does look like in such a way that if God asked you to, to do something that could mess with that future self of yours or that current self of yours, that you wouldn't listen? I, I saw it play out uh, a few years back. I was working with a family in a church uh, leading some children's ministries. And at the end of the day, there was a, a young fifth grader who came up to me and he goes, Mr. Anthony, I, th I think God is calling me to be a missionary. And that was an incredible thing to hear. We weren't talking about missionaries that day. We weren't, there was no lesson that day planned for what it looks like to sacrifice everything and go into parts of the world where people don't yet know that God loves them in order to share that love. We hadn't had that conversation. How neat was it that God had spoken to this fifth grade boy? And so me and my youthfulness uh, met his mom at pickup alongside him. Say, hey, I don't know if you know this, but he has something to say. And, and he says, mom, I think God is calling me to be a missionary. And, and mom looked at us and she goes, I, I had a sense of that a, a couple weeks ago. I feel like God told me the same thing, but I've already said no, she says. And then she goes on to explain to me, do you realize if you're a missionary, the kind of poverty you might have to live in? I don't want that for my son. Do you realize how hard it is if you are a missionary to, to build a stable family? I've worked so hard for my son. Do you realize how good he is at academics? You don't even need a degree to be a missionary. We're going home. She took him. She had this picture that she had made sacred and she'd created an idol out of what her family was supposed to look like to the point where even when God did speak to her, she said, no. And I wonder, do you hold on to your kids' achievements? Do you hold on to that relationship that might not actually draw you closer to who Jesus is? And you're afraid to ask God, what does he want from that relationship? What does he want for your kids? And maybe that's, that's the thing that's out there. Maybe, maybe it's not that, though. Maybe it's not that. Maybe you find yourself like a lot of people in this season, and you have elevated above a lot of other things, uh, something that I'm prone to do at times. I think a lot of us in this last year and a half, two years have elevated a bit. Uh, and that, that's your politics. That's my politics, my political party and your political views. And have you decided that what you believe about politics and your political view supersedes what God might be calling you to do? Have you created something sacred out of something that was good? I was uh, talking to a pastor up in Washington recently, and he was just mourning the fact that, that he's talked to other pastors this last year, year and a half, and he's heard time and time again a family leaving a church because the church's teachings didn't line up with their politics. He goes, 
But Anthony, I've yet to meet a single family that said, you know, I, I left my politics or I reshaped my political views because of the teachings of the church and the teachings of scripture. We've had a lot of people get their priorities mixed up on this one and they're letting a thing go first that was never meant to go first. And your enemy knows you. My enemy knows me and knows that if they can get something out in front that we're not willing to touch, that it makes it really hard to listen to God and do the things that Jesus is calling you to do. Now, I'm not talking about your political views, right? Like, I'm smart enough to know. Like, I won't ever tell you to change your political views, right? It's for the person, like, in the seat next to you. It's for the other person watching this. Uh, but, but consider, consider. Now, some of you have stuff that you've prioritized in your life that I can't quite put on a shield. Um, it would be uh, hard for me to do that and still keep what we do as a church uh, PG, I don't know what your thing is. Maybe it's an addiction. That you like you know it's an addiction. And you know that you probably should stop, but you know, it's an addiction because at some point it felt fulfilling. And and you don't want to give that thing up, and so you haven't talked to God about that. Or or maybe, gosh, you're you're in a spot where you need to forgive somebody. You need to humble yourself enough to go, I know they haven't asked for it, but, but I need to show them forgiveness. And you've, you've put that out in front of things. Your rightness has become an idol to you. It's become sacred. Something that was good has gotten elevated. It could be a relationship that you should get out of. And you know, if you talk to God about it, that's what he's going to say. So you haven't. There's something. There's something in your world that you are prone to make an idol out of. You're a person. That's what we do. And, and, and I love that, like, that's not just something we deal with, but God followers, Jesus followers, for like almost a thousand, two thousand years, like this is stuff they've been dealing with to the point where Paul actually gives us a roadmap. When you find yourself with your priorities that are messy, whether you are part of the Galatian church and you've elevated the law above the law giver, when you, when you are someone who has elevated uh, what God has given you over what God is asking you to do with those things. Paul says the next step is actually not that difficult. Basically, if you want to listen to God, hear what he has for you. You're going to remember Jesus' teachings to serve one another humbly and to love your neighbor as yourself. You're going to start there. You're going to ask the simple question, who have I served today? If you feel like you have not heard from God, and maybe it's because your priorities are out of line, it's, it's actually pretty quick to align them again. You just ask yourself, who have I served today? And secondly, ask yourself, and how have I loved my neighbor? Your next step is to be aware that you are prone to make things sacred. Name what those things are, and then answer those two questions, and then ask God what he has to say to you. Put everything on the table. The next thing you're going to have to do is, is embrace uh, something that I know is going to seem really basic, uh, but it's making time for God to be able to speak to you. You need to become a time warrior. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to like invent 
time travel and go into the future and fight off the robots. Like that's, it's, that's not what I'm talking about. Uh, a time warrior knows this, that the great equalizer in life is how many hours are in a day. We all get the same, unless you're a pilot and you're like going over time zones, right? But, but for most of us, we have the same amount of hours in a day. You have to be willing to fight to make those hours matter most. You need to be a warrior for that time. And it might be putting on your like phone's lock screen, I'm a time warrior to remind you when you go to look at it, have I fought for time to listen to God today? Maybe it's putting a post-it note like up on that screen that you're prone to look at to say, I am a time warrior. And it's deciding to fight for that time, to fight that battle, to make space for God to be able to speak to you. I, I continue to be surprised how many people will say, God has not spoken to me. And then when we ask as pastors, so when, when did you make time for that? They can't name a time. You have to decide to make time to fight that battle, to make it happen. And lastly, people who are trying to listen to what God has to say to them should surround themselves with people who are also trying to listen to God. I was driving my oldest son home from small group a few weeks back, and uh, he gathers a weekly with a group of guys his age uh, to study the Bible together. We actually have those small groups for all of our students in our church, sixth grade all the way through high school and college, to be able to have a gathering of people going through the same stuff to say, what is God saying to us? And, and specifically, as I was driving him home that day and I asked him what they were learning, they were going through a series much like this. They were talking about how they could, as high schoolers, hear from God. And that night in particular, they were talking about how God can speak to you in a way that you can feel like you hear it through prayer. And as I'm driving, I decide to let my son in on uh, a, a terribly kept secret uh, that in my 20 years of pastoring, like that's not been my experience of God speaking to me. I've, I've never heard a voice. Uh, that's, that's not been my experience. I'm telling him that just to, to normalize that. And I tell him, and buddy, like, if that's not how God speaks to you, you know, that's okay. He goes, well, yeah, dad, we're skeptics. <laughs> and I, like, I love a couple things about that. I love that my son is willing to like say that he's like me. That's a neat thing for a teenager to say like, yeah, because we all know one day he's going to be old enough and he's going to be like us and go, oh, I'm just like my dad. I'm just like my mom. And that won't be a great thing. Uh, but he named like, oh yeah, we're, this is who we are. But, but here's what I also love about that. He knows that God can still speak to him as he does to me in different ways. Uh, that, that being a skeptic or, or not having that experience, he has surrounded himself with, with a group that I would encourage you to surround yourself with. And that's, it's an army of losers. Here's what I mean. Uh, it's a group of people who've said, I'm willing to lose whatever I need to lose in order for God to speak to me in the way that he needs to speak to me. And that's what you need to do is surround yourself with other people who've decided that they're gonna, they're gonna lay everything down. And when they ask God, God, what do you have for me? They're willing to listen no matter what it deals with. What each of us should be striving to find is that group. That after we've gotten our priorities straight and we've asked, how have I served others? How have I cared for my neighbor? Once we've decided to be time warriors and fight for that time to God to speak to us, we should surround ourselves with a group of others who are on that same journey to say, we're in this together. And by listening to God together, may we follow after a Jesus who calls us to care for others more than ourselves. Amen?
Amen. Let me pray for us. God, speak to us. We put it all on the table. Nothing's off limits. We ask that you would show us where our idols are. Show us the good things that we've turned into sacred things, that we might get rid of them, that we might hear what you're calling us to next. Help us serve well this week. Help us love our neighbors well this week. Surround us with an army of losers and help us be time warriors who fight to make time with you. We love you and pray this in all things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.